Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Today, I'm talking with Liera Tamani. Liera is the author behind Calling My Name and her latest book, All the Things We Never Knew. We talk today about how Liara became a writer for young adults, the ways education has been letting our young people down, and a film we both love, Love and Basketball. Remember, everything we discuss on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to thank the Stacks Pack on Patreon. Those are folks who have contributed a small amount each month that goes a long way to making this show possible. For their generosity, they earn perks like our monthly virtual book club and shout outs on the show. And of course, my eternal gratitude. If you want to join the Stacks Pack, please head over to patreon.com slash the stacks. Okay, this week I'm giving a special thanks to Carly Cruchel, Sophie Turp, Jenny Klein, Emma, Sandra Nunez-Sims, Lindsay, Sophia, Olivia, Beatrice Chahan, MK, Haley Smith, and Jessica Mamoli. Thank you all so, so much. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with Liara Tamani. All right, everybody. I'm so excited. I'm here today with Liara Tamani. She is the author of All All the Things We Never Knew. It is a YA book about, it's kind of like a YA romance, but also in the true sense of YA, it's a finding yourself, who who am I, who do I want to be kind of story. Liara, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm very excited to have you. I'm sure you said that you listened to the show, so you know, I don't just let any old YA author on this podcast. <laughs> no, you do not. <laughs> I feel like the YA authors, you've got like Jason Reynolds. Yeah. Sarah um, Annie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think no, that's you do it. Not let it. Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, welcome. I'm You're excited. my third. <laughs> I am excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, wait, hold on. I lied. I also had Jacqueline Woodson. Jacqueline Woodson. Yes, you did. Yes, I you forgot did. because she's so great that I forgot that that was even something that I was allowed to have and, in my and life. And y'all weren't talking about her YA work. No. You were talking about Red at the, Red Bone, the Bone, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But uh, not that I have anything against YA authors. It's just they're not normally, you're not normally in my space, in my mind. So ha- like reading your stuff and having you on, I'm like, oh, this is fun. It's kind of like a different, you know, world for me because, you know. I don't read YA normally, but now I have started. And let's start with you and your book. So in about 30 seconds or so, can you just tell us about your book? 
Yes. Um, all the things we never knew. It's a love story. It centers on the lives of Rex and Carly, um, who are two Houston area high school basketball stars. Um, and the book is written in alternating perspectives. So you really get to know um, both of them deeply and follow their love story and then right. falling in love for the first time. Um which is really messy. Their, their <laughs> love is really messy and really complicated. Right. But it's also really tender and sweet. Um, and the book is not only about them falling in love and romantic love, but it's also about familial love, the love between friends, um, and, you know, most importantly, the love of self. So, right. I'm curious kind of why you felt compelled to tell this story, because like you said, it's not just a love story between Rex and Carly, but it's also about their families and themselves. And also, you know, in some respects, like the the love that someone might have for for their future self or like what they want, yes. to be or like where they want to go. So I'm curious kind of why you felt compelled to share this story. Yes. And I love that you say future self. It's like, I have been saying future self for, <laughs> for so long and I've been so conscious of my future self for so mm. long. Whenever I'm making decisions, you know, for at least the last 20 years, probably longer in my life, I'm like, what? okay, girl, <laughs> I know what you want, but what about your future self? <laughs> right. Oh my you know, gosh. I'm yes. always thinking of her. Um, and I want kids to think of their future selves too. Right. It's right. because, you know, every day, um, that we live, we have, we are shaping our lives, like literally moment to moment all day long, mm. you are shaping the life of your future self. And it is so powerful. Yeah. And I definitely did not know that at my age, you know, it's like, Oh, it's like, you know, you're planning for your future, but no, it's like, you have the, the literal power to shape your life. Right. Because we're taught a lot to like think about our future in specific ways. Like, are you saving money? Do you want to own a house? Like certain milestones, but not so much like who do we want to be kind of in our soul or like in our core of our being or, or the ways that the things we're doing right now are going to change the things that we might want. Yeah. It's like who we are as people. What do we like? What are we drawn to? Mm. You know, and to really explore those things and, you know, commit to exploring those things on a daily basis so that they grow. Right. It's like whatever you want in your life to grow, you have to direct energy there and spend time there um, right. and invest <laughs> invest in that space uh, right. so that it grows more in your life. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I want teens to know. So. Right. Do you did you always want to write for young for young people or was that something that kind of like how did you decide to write YA? Yeah, it's something that just kind of happened. My first book, Calling My Name, it could have been sold either adult or YA. And when I was writing it, I really was not conscious, honestly, of the market. Right. You know, I was just like writing the best book I can write. Right. And, you know, it's really naive. Honestly, it's like, I wish I would have known more about the business and known more about how everything works. Yeah. Um, and so, but when, you know, my agent started to sell it, she was like, well, we'll go with YA first um, hmm. because it is, it is a lot more literary. And honestly, it didn't fit into the YA market, the first one, because, it follows a girl from 12 to 17 and mm -hmm. YA typically likes, you know, shorter time spans, like a year or six oh, months, okay. you know? And so, but we sold it. She actually sold it in a week and it was a two book deal. So this mm -hmm. second book, I was a lot more conscious, like, 
you know, okay, I'm writing this for a teenage audience. You know, the first book, I didn't really know. Of course, when I found out we sold it to, you know, as YA, I went back and made a few changes, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't know initially. So do you think that if you had had a one book deal that your next book would have been YA? Like, do you feel like that's the space for you? Or do you feel like that's the space that you're just, that you are found yourself in? Yeah, it's interesting. I honestly feel like I could write so many things. I have so many books already in my mind, you know, from picture books to adult books, you know, um, (laughs) to erotic books, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) the the, the full span. Um, And so I feel like, you know, with me in my life, it's just going to be like, where am I at in this particular moment? And what is going to bring me to the page and inspire me to write? And that is what I'm going to write. You know, I I don't think I'm going to stick to the YA, you know, just stay in this space. And honestly, I I want in my career to move more away from social media. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like, yeah, I know. It, it's it's really hard for me, be, and it I feel like it takes away from my writing, hmm. and so and I know that you know it's a part of marketing and how you sell books, but for me in my life and just the type of life I want to live and where I want to direct my attention to on a daily basis, I don't like how much I look at the phone, and so hmm. I don't know if that is going to have an impact on where I go. I'm going to see. Why uh, would that have an impact? Yeah, because I feel like in the YA space, like everybody does such strong marketing on social media. Everybody is like, you know, most people are like hardcore on social media and Mm. it helps. It helps, you know, to, you know, have relationships with other authors. It helps just build your brand. You know, it helps with all those things. And, you know, it's wonderful. And I think especially for a younger generation who grew up kind of in that space and on the, you know, you know, in those spaces, whether it's Instagram or whatever, I didn't grow up like that. I didn't grow up, you know, with social media. It's really new to me. Actually, I didn't really get on it until I knew I was going to have a book coming out. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like a, a few years ago, I was like, okay, let me start this social media thing, That's so funny. you know? And so, um, but you know, I don't like it. And so I want to transition out of it and, you know, we will see where I can have success without being on social media. Um, right. But at the end of the day, you know, I want to continue writing what's in my heart, what's on my heart, you know, or just writing what inspires me at the time. And that could be anything. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. I like that. I like that answer that it's, you know, a fluid thing and more yeah. that you're just kind of a writer and what happens happens for you and what comes up. That's sort of nice. I think that people, you know, all sorts of people approach their craft differently, but it, I think that that's something that's more rare than uh, something more rare than what I normally hear from people when I ask them kind of about genre or or type of book that they've written. So I, I really like that. Do you? How do you like? I mean, so I'm I'm far ish removed from my teenage years. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm 33, so I'm mm-hmm. not super far, but I'm not. 22. So I'm just curious how you know what's going to work for teenagers. Like, how do you figure out how to talk to teenagers through writing? Because Mm -hmm. it's different than having a conversation with a teenager, right? You have to connect to them in a certain way through writing. And, you know, you're also an adult. So I'm just curious, like, what that process is like for you and if it's hard or if it, 
just kind of happens. No, I don't know. I, I feel like for me, it's it's pretty natural. Okay. And I do feel like it helps that I do have a lot of teenagers in my life. Okay. <laughs> I have a big family and lots of nieces and nephews, and I talk to them all the time. And I do feel that that helps. And I'm connected to the, you know, to, I guess, the younger culture. Even my boyfriend, he follows, you know, his Instagram looks completely different to mine, and he's showing me stuff all the time. <laughs> it's like, I do feel like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm out of the loop. Like, okay. you know, like that I'm trying to reach this space that I know nothing about. I feel like, no, nah, I can be up in here. I can look around and, you know, and and articulate it in a way, you know, that connects to them or just describe the space and, and inhabit those characters. Like I fully inhabited, I feel like Rex and Carly in, yeah. in different ways. And, you know, a lot of the emotions that they feel, which, you know, a lot of my writing is centered and rooted in emotion, I guess. They're just human emotions. We all feel right. them, you right. know. So, right. you know, the difference may be in the dialogue and, you know, how they right. express themselves, you know. But at the end of the day, it's an emotion. All Everything that they felt, I felt. Right. So And, and so I know, you know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that you're hundred percent right that young people are, you know, they feel the same things we feel and they experience a lot of the same things that we experience. I just, my experience with younger folks, probably younger than teenagers, but I remember being a teenager still, I'm still young enough to remember being a teenager. And I feel like teenagers are super duper authenticity meters. You know, like if you write some bullshit in a adult novel, people might be like, oh, that's amazing. It's so great. Like, <laughs> mm, wow, I can't believe she said that. Like how amazing. But if you write some shit that's not authentic in like a young person's book, they're, they just, close the book and we're like, bye. Get on with that. Yeah. So that's kind of what more where my question comes from is like, how do you figure out what's going to work for a teenager? Because I just feel like they don't have necessarily, you know, I'm speaking in a huge generalization, but they don't have the same patience or, you know, uh, time for bullshit. Right. No, I completely agree. Um, And really, it's like with all my writing, you know, whether it's going to be for adults or who it is, I always I'm trying to come from that authentic place. Right. You know, even, you know, this is a romance and romance can get real cliche. Right. In this instance, where the characters start off with, you know, big feelings for each other. But it's like I really work to make sure it wasn't cliche. I really work to make sure that the characters felt authentic and that you can really vibe with them and feel them and root for them and, you know, all of that. And so uh, that authenticity, authenticity, I think it's there. And as long as that's there and they can connect with the characters, I feel like that's where it's at. That's, that's where the winning is, or that's, that's what you want. You know, that's what you want them to do, be able to connect with the characters. So, yeah, I love that. Um, So one of the big kind of the or big parts of this book is basketball. And you wrote for Time Magazine for the 20th anniversary of Love and Basketball, perhaps yes. one of the greatest films of all time. I don't know. I can't say for <laughs> sure, but it's pretty good. It's um, you, yeah, it's great. Yeah. You wrote about Love and Basketball. And so I'm kind of curious what your relationship is to basketball. Wait, but before you answer that, I also have to say that you were retweeted by Ava DuVernay. Yes. Which was like, yes. holy shit. Like, holy shit. Did you I was freak? Like, I'm going to have to up my Twitter game. Yeah. But I didn't. After that, I still didn't have my <laughs> you Twitter You were like, game. I still don't want to be on social media. But this is amazing. 
No, and especially I'm better on Instagram. I was like, I wish she, I wish I could connect to her through Instagram. I'm a lot better on Instagram than I am. I can't do it all. Like at least I'm like trying to choose one to be decent at, and I'm decent at Instagram, but not Twitter. But no, it it was an amazing experience, and it was an amazing moment to know that you know you just felt I felt seen, you know, and to you know, to, to be seen by, you know, someone that you admire and someone that you look up to. It's an amazing feeling. I was like, you know, I was on a high definitely that day. I was on a high just knowing, you know, even uh, Gina Bythewood saw it, tweeted it. We had a little exchange. It's like, you know, that article gave me a little bit of exposure and mm-hmm. allowed me to connect to people that I wouldn't necessarily mm. be able to connect to otherwise. Right, and right. and I really appreciated that moment because of that. Okay. Back to my original question. I just had yeah. to fangirl over you having connected <laughs> with Ava DuVernay because like who wouldn't want to? Um, basketball. What's your relationship to basketball? Wh- why? How? How did you come to basketball? Why? Yeah, why? Okay, I so- love basketball, but just how did yeah. how did it come for you? Yeah. So growing up, I I come from a family of basketball players. Like, you know, my brother and my dad played in college. I'm 5'11". I really didn't want to play. I was kind of forced to play basketball. So I ended up playing. All my cousins played. My sister played. And so that was part of my background growing up. My boyfriend played. Everybody played. And then my ex-husband played in the NBA. So, you know, I spent like 13 years, you know, going to games and being a part of that culture, um, the NBA culture. And so with me and and my writing life, you know, typically, well, my first two books have been super personal, (laughs) you know, this is not my story, you know, all these things did not happen to me, but I definitely, you know, took, you know, the emotions I felt, you know, from different times of my life Mm. and and put them into books, you know, and so calling my name is kind of like how I grew up, Mm -hmm. you know, and then all the things we never knew it's you know a lot of emotions from that second period of my life which revolved around a lot around basketball because you know yeah yeah and who's your team you're in Houston so are you a Rockets fan Houston Rockets yeah oh. Houston I mean say that I'm a like these days it's like after being you know going to games and you know all those years being so wrapped up into basketball I don't even have cable these days so I, I don't I don't really watch basketball that often, but the playoffs I do watch, you know, all the time. But I do love LeBron, okay. who also is highlighting the book. I love, you know, how he's so vocal and how he speaks out and he's trying to have an impact, you know, on the right. larger world and, um, and speaking up on behalf of black people. I, I love him and see what he's doing and starting schools. And he has a new children's book coming out, too. He does. Um, I forget the name of it. Yes. He has, a picture, he has a picture com- book coming out soon. Oh, yeah. Okay. I have mm-hmm. to get, I have to get on that. I've got two brand new little babies and I'm always looking for a picture book. So yeah. gotta, yeah. you know, and I, I don't love LeBron because I'm a Warriors fan. So I hate Uh-oh. LeBron, <laughs> but okay. it's the day that LeBron James retires, I'm going to become like a huge LeBron huge. fan. <laughs> but like right now, everything he does is like, I'm disgusted by him. You know, I'm like, Ugh, how dare LeBron open a school? What an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like I promise you the day that he retires I'm gonna be like oh I love LeBron he opened a school he had so much to say no. <laughs> I can separate LeBron the person who does good things from LeBron the basketball player but just barely barely like, okay. just barely <laughs> okay so one of the other themes of the book that I found to be the thing that I was the most interested and excited by because 
I don't necessarily see people talking about this with young people, let or with adults, let alone young people, is you really deal with grief in this book. And it's, yeah. you know, there are, this isn't a spoiler, but there are characters who have lost parents. There are lots of family secrets that come out that lead to like sort of a grief of the things that, you know, we thought that we knew, right? Like all the things we never knew. Finding out some of those things lead to grief and, you know, this sense of loneliness and loss. And I'm curious um, why that was important for you to put in the book, why that was something you wanted to focus on in this love story. Yeah, grief and just pain, yeah. you know, I, I feel like there are a lot of people not only dealing with their personal pain, teenagers, but living with the pain that of their parents, especially right. they're living in their parents' house. They, you, you know, your parents rear you, they raise you any pain that they have not really healed. You know, you are going to see that and you are going to have to deal with that in, in a certain way. And I've known and still know <clears throat> lots of teenagers who have had to deal with that and haven't processed that, mm. you know, and are carrying that pain with them and have carried that pain with them into their adulthood. Right. You know, where they're now passing it on to their kids. You know, right. it's like I know it's a thing that we always talk about inherited pain and, you know, you know, passing on. pain, But it is very real, you know, and I really wanted to kids to know in this book that, you know, they even when you do have to deal with your parents pain, that your parents pain is not your own. Mm. You know, you can put it down. Right. You don't have to carry it. It's not yours, right. you know, and that, you know, in order a lot of times to deal with hurt and to deal with pain, you do have to look at it. Hmm. You, you have to be aware. A lot of people, you know, a lot of adults, you know, haven't learned how to really squarely look at the pain you know, and become aware of it so that right. you can deal with it. And that is really the first step. You know, if you're not looking at it, if you're too busy pushing it away, I'm not hurt. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, go, I'm, right. I'm fine. You know, if you're too busy doing that, you know, it'll stay there and it will, you know, it will cause a lot of damage, you know, you know, to your relationships, you know, to everything you love. Right. You know, so just kind of making kids aware, like, hey, if you have, pain, you know, in your life, you know, whether it's, you know, coming from yourself or you're coming from your parents, Hey, it's okay. Look at it. You know, right. let's look at it, look at it. And then, you know, see how you can have a healing around it, looking at it and trying to heal it. And I try to do that, you know, with characters like Rex, you know, I love Rex and Rex is cool. You know, he's so vulnerable and yeah. he's so tender, he's but so he's also vulnerable. like cool. He's cool. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So these kids are not like, oh, he's corny and, you know, whatever. Nah, this is like a cool dude, I think, yeah. you know, facing his stuff and like trying to get past it. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I, I like that about Rex, too, that he is got a lot going on and he's very emotional and kind of like volatile a little bit and that it comes from, you know, this trauma and this these this pain that he's carrying with him, but that he's also like a cool dude. Yeah. You know, like I like that because I, I do think sometimes when characters have a lot going on, they also, you know, are written as losers or weirdos. And then it's like you don't have to value their pain because there's other issues or whatever. And so I like that you made Rex really from the outside appearing like the aspirational, like cool guy. But then on the inside, we get to see that there's a lot going on for him. 
Yeah, I mean, and that it, it goes for most people, especially now with social media. Everybody wants to put on the best face, right? right. It's like, look how cute I am. Look how great my life is. Right. Look at me. You right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. Like, I have it going on, especially teenagers are going to be like that. Nobody's like out here, like, you know, at home, I'm really sad. You know, it's right. like, you know, and, but you, you have to kind of deal with what's going on on the inside. And I want teenagers to know it's like, yeah. You know, people look okay on the outside, but, you know, we all have stuff going on on the inside that we need to deal with. All yeah, of us. <laughs> totally. I mean, so yeah. true. I feel like even people on social media who try to make those posts that are like pictures of them crying, being like, I'm not always happy. I'm so sad. It's like, even that is like a bullshit performance, uh, right? Yes. Like, even that is a totally. curated choice of like, totally. which crying selfie do I look the best worst in? And like, <laughs> Exactly. How's the lighting in this bathroom <laughs> right. while I'm like, like to get crying? To yeah, get, yeah no. exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned that you have a lot of young people in your life, and this book isn't out as of our recording, but it will be out as a people's listening. I'm curious, do you let any of the young people in your life read your work before it's released? Like, do do you let them be kind of like your sensitivity readers, if you will? I mean, I have one niece um, okay. that reads, but the rest of them, you know, they'll read it when it comes out, but they're not like, oh, let me cop that. But what I will say about this book is I think they will all love it and read it. And okay. I had that in mind when I was writing this book, you know, calling my name, you know, it is like, like I said, it verges between, you know, the, you know, it could be for adults. It could be, it's, you know, more literary. It spans more time. It has like a really, um, you know, it's the plot is not traditional. Um, it's slower. It's written in vignettes and like mm. short stories. Um, and I don't know if they connected to it as much, um, mm. especially the boys, the girls did, especially boys. Right. But with this one, it's like, I want the boys to connect. I want my nephews to read it. I want right. my nieces to read it. I want them all to read it. And I have that in mind. Like, and so I can't wait for them to read it. I actually can't wait for my nephews to read it. Um, and, and, and I want to hear what they have to say, but I think they will like it. My okay. nieces and my nephews. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to hear what they think too. So the cover of this book is really gorgeous. And sure. I feel like I saw on your Instagram that you like that you have an artist that you really like, right? Like it's someone that yeah. you, can you tell us who did your cover and kind of how it came to be? Yeah. Love is wise. Love is wise did the cover and she is amazing. I just love her name to begin yeah. with. Like love is wise. And I love her art and you know, her art has that energy. It, it exudes love. And my publisher asked me, Hey, do you know who you want to do the cover? Mm. And I said, I want her to do the cover. I gave them her name and she was available. So it wow. worked out. I mean, my first cover, I had no idea who I was not a part of it all. They were like, Oh, here's your cover. It ended up being amazing. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It. it was amazing. It was gorgeous, but I was not a part of it all of it, of it at all. But this one, they let me choose her. And then once I chose her, she was open. Um, and I'm forever grateful to her for this is, but she was open to collaborate because mm. she, you know, wasn't into basketball that much, you know, so she was open to collaborate and we kind of went back and forth, but I love what she did and how it ended up coming out. Like I yeah. love Rex. I love all the celestial elements on it. I feel like it literally perfectly embodies uh, the story in the book. So yeah. Thank you. Love is wise. Yeah. I think it's really good. It's a really nice cover and I love, I love how, bright and vibrant it is. And I also love Carly's hair on the cover. 
How did you pick the names in your book? How do you name your characters? Ooh, Carly and Rex. Like, I know Carly. Um, Carly, I used to have uh, this design business back in the day. It's like I had a million careers before okay. I started writing. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them was uh, this design business actually that I had with a couple of friends. It was after my first design business that I had just by myself. And um, I forget the full name of it, but it was Carly something. And it was was Carly with a Y. Um, and for some reason that name has, it's like, and we didn't, the business didn't last long, you know, getting into business with friends and friends and friends, it's sometimes not, it's not great. Um, so it's like, and we were super young, but I guess it's always been in my mind as something like that's not fulfilled in a way. And I, I just like the name. Um, I I just always loved the name. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to use Carly, you know? So I picked Carly like that. I'm not sure where Rex come came from. Honestly, like I must've, I don't know. Did I go online and start researching names and like that one? I honestly don't know. I don't remember. That's okay. Yeah. Um, so you said you've had a lot, a lot of jobs. Did you have a, did you have a day job? Like while you were writing this book? No, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, um, have an ongoing, uh, real estate business, which, you know, my part in it these days is mostly to decorate and design, uh, places. And so that's fun for me. And so while I was doing this book, um, you know, and it's like the whole thing, it's like ripping out floors and choosing floors and choosing tile and choosing what's going on the walls and then completely furnishing places. I was definitely doing a lot of that when writing this book. So, so yeah. Okay. How do you find the time to do the writing when you have other obligations? Because you're also a mom. I am also a mom. And and it works out with my daughter. My daughter is with her dad every other weekend. Okay. That 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 gives me time. And then, you know, I drop her off at school. Normally school gives me time. Right. <laughs> it didn't at the end of this last year, but right. normally school gives me time. And so I drop her off in the morning. But then I pick her up. She wants to be picked up, you know, at 315. And she didn't like to stay after. And I like, I, I can give that to her. So I do give that to <laughs> right. her, but it really cuts into my work day. I have a sure. really short day, you know, which I understand, you know, makes it makes me less productive, you know, sure. but at the same time, it's like, I want to, I have this to give her and I want to give it to her this time of mine and it's precious time. Right. And gosh, I look back and I look back at pictures of her when she was a baby and I'm like, oh my, it makes me want to cry. It's like, right. it's, it's going by so fast. She's already eight years old, you know? And so, and I have the rest of my life, hopefully to write, you know, right. and I'm still writing and still producing things that I'm proud of. And mm. even if it goes at a slower pace, I'm okay with that. I don't have to put out a book every year or, right. you know. And so, um, I'm a little slower, but that's okay. You know? And so, yeah, that's definitely okay. What, what is your writing setup? Like, where do you write? How do you write? Like, do you like to have a snack or beverage? Do you have music playing? Can you like, what is it? Do you have to be in the same spot? Can you be out in public? Like what's your whole writing situation look like? Normally I like quiet um, and I like to be alone. And so, and I typically write, like I've stopped writing in chairs. I used to write at computers, but it just kills my back. Like Mm -hmm. I've gone through back things. And so now I typically write like on the sofa, kind of stretched out with my legs stretched out, Mm. you know, my computer propped up on pillows. I write like that. Or I write 
outside on my kind of like deck area okay. also in the same way I cannot write in coffee shops because of the noise yeah. and just being around people um definitely no music you know pretty much silence I have to hear my own thoughts and hear yeah. my own words form and I'm pretty it's like when I get into that process when I'm on my computer it's like I'm pretty hard on myself I race a lot and so mm. it's like I really have to hear myself it's like mm -hmm. I'm really I love rhythm when I'm writing and so I always want to love the rhythm of every sentence that goes down on the page. So mm. I'm constantly, you know, writing and reading what I wrote. And Do you read you it know, out loud? Sometimes, okay. yeah, definitely. But just going back and just reading, like if I write a sentence, I want to get that perfect. And then, you know, after I finish the paragraph, I go back and tweak it again, mm. you know. It's a constant rewriting when I'm mm. writing. And I know it's not efficient and most writers don't do that. But then when I get to the end of the book is a lot of the edits are not, you know, it's it's highly edited right. <laughs> by, by me already. Right. I feel like there's definitely two schools of thought. Either you're a junk draft person or a work like kind of edit as I go person. I feel like that's yeah. what I hear mostly. Yeah, I'm an edit as you go person. And I feel like I w I try to be a junk draft person. I really wish I could because honestly, I think it is more efficient. <laughs> but I can't. It's like I can't let it stand. Like I, mm. if I don't like a sentence, it's really hard for me to move on. And, you know, I think honestly, it informs the sentences to follow. It's like if right. I get that sentence right and it feels right and it says exactly what I wanted to say, then it's easy for me to come up with the next sentence and the mm. next sentence that so that makes sense yeah so you avoided answering my favorite part of that question which is snacks and beverages oh snacks and beverages oh my god <laughs> let's get to the tough questions okay <laughs> snacks um I don't normally keep the snacks I want in the house because I'll eat them all. Okay. You know okay. what I'm saying? It's like I have no willpower when it comes to snacks. Okay. Like during this quarantine, I got into a phase of, oh, we need snacks, you know, and I ate them all. Like, you know, those huge bags from Costco potato chips in mm -hmm. particular. I went through three huge bags of potato you. chips and I was like just snack, snack, snack. And so typically I don't keep any of that. I guess I snack on a lot of nuts, okay. peanuts. I love peanuts. Okay. Um, so I snack on nuts and, you know, throughout the day, I'm a tea drinker. Okay. Um, what kind of tea? Um, chamomile, okay. green. Um, I've recently become a coffee drinker over quarantine though. And oh. it's been really delicious. Normally I can't drink coffee um, because like it makes me too anxious. Like okay. it gives me, you know, it, it, I can't sleep at night and, but I've started, you know, a meditation practice and I'm so glad I did start it. But um, maybe like, I don't know, maybe six months ago now, mm. like a meditation, like you meditate twice a day. Oh, wow. And that meditation practice has gotten my anxiety lower so that even if I drink coffee, even if I drink coffee at like one o'clock, wow. I'll still be able to sleep at night. And before I couldn't drink coffee at all hmm. and, and sleep at night. So it's like my meditation is allowing me to drink coffee. It's like really... <laughs> That's so interesting. I'm curious to see how that practice, if you keep up with it, will change once, I guess, hopefully we're out of quarantine and we can be in the world. Like if you'll right. still do that, if you'll still be able to drink coffee. Coffee. Yeah. But it's so delicious. Before I used to oh, be so I think it's disgusting. It's like, I disgusting? hate coffee. Are you serious? I don't drink coffee because I think coffee tastes like socks and shoes and feet and like is one of the grossest tastes. I hate coffee, but a lot of people are like, oh, because of the caffeine, but pardon? The sugar and milk? Like, yes. Even, when you, yes. even like coffee ice cream is gross oh to me. 
gosh. Okay. Like if something has coffee in it, I can usually tell. And I'm like, oh, is there coffee in this cake? Like, you know, like a chocolate cake or something. I'm like, there's espresso in here. <laughs> Like out for coffee. Oh my gosh, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, well, it's like you don't need the caffeine. Caffeine, you, you know. Sure. You don't, I mean, yeah. It's a, yeah, I don't. I don't like it, so I don't miss it. It's not like people yeah. who love coffee, but are like, I can't drink it because it makes me too wired. Like I'm like, I don't. Right. I'm not interested in your beverage. Like, get it away. <laughs> that was always me, and it's like it makes it. It's like I get jealous too because you know, even when I couldn't have it before, I would have it ever so often, you know, and I would usually have it right before I go dance. I love dancing. And mm-hmm. so before I go to Zumba, you know, I would go, okay, once every few weeks, let me have a coffee. Mm-hmm. I would dance my ass off. I'd be like, <laughs> drop it. I've had all the energy <laughs> in the world. I'm like, this is what y'all get to have every day. Oh if this God. is what, this is what everybody is on every day. This is like so awesome. Like, but yeah, typically, but now I've been like, it's been beautiful. Like I usually have a little coffee with a little milk and sugar and I have a little piece of peanut butter bread mm. <laughs> during quarantine. My life, it's like, I am, I'm indulging in the little sweet ways, you know, I that, that makes life a little sweeter. I had it this morning. I was mm. like, oh yes. Like, it's like, yes. I had it pizza for breakfast today. I love those so days. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. so good. I've been indulging a lot between quarantine and being a new mom. I'm like, I don't care. I'll deal with all of this later. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm like, there's pizza in my fridge. Yes. And I'm going to have it for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I did that last week. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. honestly, let's not play any games. I was having pizza for breakfast before quarantine and before I was a mom. <laughs> I just like pizza. Okay. I eat what I want. I'm one of those people. I'll deal with the rest of it later, but I like to eat what I like to eat. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, another very important question. Hard-hitting journalism. What's a word that you can never spell correctly on the first try? Oh my gosh. Um, psychology, Ooh. psych, any of the size. Like yeah. don't, if I could, I can't spell it right now as we speak. If you ask me, me, me. I'll be like, I, I know don't, it's I don't like, where does the S and the Y where, what's their relationship to one another? Why the A in there, H in there, or yeah, is it? There I don't is. know. <laughs> Some of them that have H's. Yeah. I'm, I'm fully with you on that. I like, no, thanks. Thank God for predictive text and, you know, the little red squiggly oh line. Because yes. I'd be yes. turning things in with just misspelled words in high school. Yes. Like, I don't know. Figure it out, teacher. Here it is. Yeah, I guess I've been writing by hand. Yeah. You but you're like a super duper nerd over there. You went like all... Sh- I know I listened to you on Sarah Annie's podcast talking about how you were like crazy straight A student. Yeah. And like fought with a professor over a B plus grade and you went to Harvard law school for one year because you didn't really want to be there, but you just had to flex on everybody. Like (laughs) I got in and I could go, but I actually don't want to be here. So like, maybe you can't tell psychology, but like you went to Harvard law school and you're like a straight A student. Yeah, and I don't even know that was like a great thing because it's like you can obsess about like making good grades and but in that it's like I probably didn't spend time on things that would really would have interest me or right. like helped in my development at the time. Right. But yeah, and I don't even think I'm like super smart. I've never considered myself a super smart person. I work really hard though. I will say it's like, I've always had like a really strong work ethic. So it's like, even, you know, at undergrad at Duke, people used to come for me and ask for my outlines Mm -hmm. because like how I would study for a test is, you know, I would go, like if I had to take a, you know, calculus test, I would go back and, and, and do every single homework problem and every single test problem from the whole semester. I would do them all to prepare for the final. Oh, I know. Like, that's who I am. Like, you know, so it's like, I'm not super smart. I'm super hard working. But you are, you probably are super smart. You just don't think you're super smart because you're hardworking. So you feel like there's more you could be doing or like that there's more, you know, like, I feel like people who are super smart and hardworking often discredit their smartness on behalf of their hardworkingness. But I don't think, I think it's probably both things. Okay, I will claim that. I will I will step into that and own that. I mean, yeah. if you're doing calculus homework twice, you're hella smart. I couldn't even <laughs> do it the first time. I was definitely cheating off my friends. Like, please give me your homework so that I can do this because I am not a math person. And you know what? I'm going to school to be an actor and my future self apparently is going to have a book podcast. So I really don't need Woo! this. Like, <laughs> see 
I went to theater school, so I did. I studied theater at NYU. Okay, I have a yeah. friend that studied it, but she's older. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I did not need calc. I took pre-calculus. I cheated off my best friend Claire. Uh, she was in like honors pre-calc, and I was in regular pre-calc, and so we had the same teacher, and he would assign the same assignments, but just go through them faster with the honors kids. So I would just take her paper and copy the answers and my tutor that my parents paid for me to have was like yeah that's totally fine that's totally fine (laughs) because it was like it's I mean that's one of the things I feel like for young people and I'm sure you get this a lot writing for young people is like the way the education system is it's not necessarily there to teach you anything and if you are if you know you're not going to do this thing and it's also something that nobody really uses like calculus it's like just let me get through it and get a good grade so that it doesn't get in the way of me doing the things that I want to do and the things that I'm good at yeah no totally it's like that's one of the things that needs to be completely transformed the educational system it's like all this to teach to the test teach to the test and having kids being just tested all the time over information that is literally going to leave their brains <laughs> as soon as they know they don't have to know it right. anymore. I couldn't even tell being... you what calculus is. Right. I don't, I no. don't even know Did, when I would I... need to use it. Yeah. Do I, I can't either. Right. You know, it's like, and I've studied a lot and I still, right. can't, I still can't tell you. Yeah. But no kids kind of like being inspired to research what they want to learn about and mm-hmm. learning more about you know, what they're passionate about, that would right. be such a, a better way to, to right. learn. <laughs> and like teaching kids how to think critically. Oh, I feel like that's really the thing. That's the only thing I ever use. I feel like from all of my education is mm-hmm. like how to read something or hear something and then have thoughts and figure out why that thing is valuable. You know, like how, how, how it's applicable in what I'm looking at. Yeah. And especially in this day and age, you know, when you have information coming at you from everywhere, you have to be able to read and to be able to cipher and to be able to, hey, check other sources or decide like, you know, what you think for yourself. You cannot just take something or somebody else's word for it. You have to be teaching kids like, hey, you know, think for yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. It's I mean, I think you say it in the book and I'm not, I can't quote it, but I definitely remember there's a part of the book. I think it's Carly. Who's like, who even decides on what we get to learn? Exactly. And that was a, and why? (laughs) And it, and it was a really, um, that moment stuck with me because I feel that a lot, like, you know, I know a lot of teachers, like if you're an English teacher, you might get to pick some of the books that your class reads and like who you are as an English teacher is going to make a huge difference on what, me as your student gets to read. Absolutely. So like if you are a, you know, poetry loving, you know, Francophile, that's going to make a difference versus if you are a hip hop loving fucking Brooklynophile, Brooklynophile. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, and that's English where there is a choice. Like a, right. in a lot of states, it's like the curriculum is decided not by the teachers, but, you know, by the superintendents or I don't right. I don't know exactly, but somebody higher, higher up, up for know, the it's decided for the whole district or even the whole state. Right. And then, you know, like Texas is like who buys all the books. It's like, right. oh, so then it's like, oh, these are the books that are just circulating across the country and everybody's learning the same things, you know, right. and honestly, and, you know, we know from history where, you know, a couple of years ago in Texas school books, they were trying to rewrite history and say that slaves were immigrants. Right. You know, it's like, right. And they were trying to 
put that in history books, you know, right. which would be going around the country. Right, you know? right. There was it's that crazy. article, I want to say New York Times, a little, maybe earlier this year, could have been three years ago. Time is really not a thing that I understand yeah. anymore. But it was about, um, I think, the same textbook company, but the different versions they send to the different states. And I believe it was California and Texas. Um, I, I'll link to this in the show notes, but if I find it, I'll, I'll shoot you an email with it. But it was very interesting because the same topics are allowed to be taught different ways in different states. And so, mm. and I remember when I went to college thinking, like meeting people and realizing that they had learned something different Different. in history. And I'm from California. So I feel like, you know, for, for most part, I think that uh, our textbooks are on the more progressive side, but it's still a textbook and it's still, you know, has stuff like there were nice slave owners, which, you know, not a thing turns out. Right. But I had a teacher tell me that literally in class, I had a teacher talk about, the nice slave owners and how her family, you know, she had researched her family and she knew her family had slaves and they were so nice. And, you know, it's funny because I think I was in maybe like, I was still, I was maybe in sixth grade and my mama came up to that school. So, <laughs> cause I came home like, and you're talking, you know, and I might be one of two or three black kids in the class and you're telling a, a room full of kids you know, right. Yeah. You know, there are lots of nice slave owners. Um, right. you know, my family had slaves and we treated slaves really nicely, Right. you know, <laughs> like, come on. Right. But when you're a kid, especially if you're not a black kid and that sentence is said to you, you might just be like, sure, that makes sense. Oh, okay. Sure. Like, that there makes are sense. nice exactly. people like, and it's like, exactly. that's how we get a lot of these ideas that being, you know, racist is means that you're a bad person. It's because right. there's these other ideas that were being taught that you could be a good person, you know, like it's so, so damaging and so harmful. And the fact that that kind of education is dependent on where you're born Yes. Within, I mean, I'm just talking about within this country. Obviously, a lot of things are dependent on where you're born as far as education. But as far as like, you know, you're, we're both Americans, but we've had different educational experiences. And that's just based on, you know, the politics around education and then who your teachers were. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. It sucks. It sucks <laughs> no, I people. know. Like, yeah, it does. Because um, it can yes, also it kill your curiosity to learn. Absolutely. It can absolutely, especially, you know, just in general, because you have, you know, all these subjects just forced down your throat and you have to learn them this specific way and learn this specific thing about them. Nobody is really asking you what you want to learn about or what you're interested in or, Mm. you know, in life, you know, what your life goals. Nobody is trying to connect to you and and see what the best way is for you to learn in a lot of instances it's like because we have all these kids and this is the most efficient way maybe to teach all these kids which even i don't think that is the case you know in a lot of cases right but it's like this is how everybody has to do it right no and you're not you're not reaching kids on a personal level but to all the teachers out there who are trying you know to reach you know shout outs to you for trying to reach kids where they're at and trying to get them engaged um, in right. what they're learning. Right. Because it's certainly an uphill battle for those teachers. Yes. Like it's just, it's not made e- like being a good teacher is not something necessarily that's easy to do. In, no, given you're part the of a restrictions. system yeah. and you have, you know, you still have to, oh, okay. We still have to take this test every month 
or every, I don't even know how often the kids are tested these days, but I know it's often, right. It's like all these tests all the time, all right. the time, all the time, you yeah. know, it's, it's teaching them what, you know, teaching them to grow up and I guess fit in like a little cog and be, and be a productive member of society to make who money, you know, right. <laughs> mostly, you know, older white men, um, to make them more money and to make the rich richer, you know, but they're not trying, they're not out here trying to teach the kids, you know, about, you know, starting their own businesses. (laughs) They're not trying to teach, they're not trying to teach the kids about general finances, you know, (laughs) something that is so helpful in life. They're not out here trying to teach the kids about these basic life skills and how to translate your passions, you know, into, you know, work that could make you money. Right. It's like, this is what we need to be teaching the kids, you know, um, so that, you know, if they don't work in this system to try to work outside the system Mm. and make a living for themselves, it's like, Mm. cause everybody doesn't work in that system, you know, it's like, and, and really the system is to uphold the system and to make the people on the very, very, very top more money, which we see. And those people are making more. I mean, the, the wealth disparity is just, it's out of control. Yeah. It's It's really out of control. Are making more and more and more money. And, you know, the people on the bottom are making less and less and less. And people on the top do not care. They don't care care about their health. They don't care about their well-being. They don't care about their families. All they seem to care about is making more money. And it is getting out of control. Right. Well, (laughs) and one of the things that we're seeing also now that's really interesting is like, I mean, I guess we've always seen this, but that there is some sort of a moral judgment placed on wealth. So people who have no money will defend billionaires as good people you know like when when Bloomberg was running for president so many people were rushing to defend him as a human and say that he was this good guy because they know he's rich and like we saw kind of a similar thing with Donald Trump that like people value him because he's wealthy as if that has any indication like any you know bearing on his moral code. And and that's not to say that people who are or aren't wealthy can't be good or bad. But collectively, there is this idea, you know, that like Jeff Bezos is great because he's rich. But we see time and again that people who are wealthy can be terrible and don't give a shit about other people. Most of the time to become that wealthy, to become super duper rich, you have to stamp on right other people, <laughs> other people. Like, right. That's just how it works. That's how business works in general. Right. You know, obviously there are ways to make money and there are ways to make lots of money where you can have your own moral code. Right. And, you know, you can have beneficial business relationships as it relates to you and somebody else where both people can be winning. You can be thoughtful. You could be giving, you know, you could be generous in different ways, whether it's donating to charities or just giving in the even in the business relationship. Right. You know, but um, but obviously that's not going on because, you know, you wouldn't have CEOs, you know, who are billionaires while the people that work for their companies, you know, are struggling to feed their families. Right. You know, you wouldn't have that. It's like they they have no care <laughs> right. for, you know, the. A, the great deal of people in this country. It's, it's the country, it's the people who are working, you know, and making this country what it is, mm. you know? So yeah. that's have to change. And I feel like, you know, and 
we're we're going to I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more civil unrest to come, because even with this, you know, bailout, like all, with the with the coronavirus, all these huge companies are being bailed out, you right. know, even them buying up bonds, you know, and basically giving all these multi these huge companies loans is what they're doing. It's allowing them to invest in stocks, allowing them to do buyback, buybacks. Right. All these companies are getting richer and richer while at the same time, they're not saying, hey, you have to keep your people employed. Right. <laughs> that's not, right. that's not, that's not a requirement. So, you know, we're going to see even uh, the the gap bet- between the rich and the poor widen yeah. even more. Yeah. And it's we're already seeing it. Yeah. yeah. We're already seeing it. And it's like, when when is enough going to be enough on that front? I yeah. know people are going to start getting sick of that too. I mean, it's already there's a movement and you know arising with Bernie Sanders, and but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. so we're recording this episode right now, June first, which is after this weekend of a lot of you know civil unrest and protesting um, all across America, and you know, without going, I guess, too much into it. One of the things that I I feel, at least in my heart, is that a lot of the people who are upset, yes, it started with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And like, yes, that that this Black Lives Matter was kind of the impetus. But people are so upset and devastated. And a lot of what's going on isn't just that. You know, like, I think it's a lot to do with what you're talking about. This wealth disparity, 100,000 people dead of coronavirus, you know, 40 million people out of work. Like, there's so much to be angry about right now. Um, so I, I do think that like, you're definitely right that we're going to see a shift in, in maybe a few directions, you know, right. I don't think it's binary. I don't think it's going to be a shift one way or the other. I think it's going to be more like there's something in the center and it just ripples it's, outward. It's out. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally, I totally believe that it's a lot converging at once. And, you know, it's like, you know, 400 years really of oppression and injustice right. and, and people speaking up and over and over and over again, just for it to keep happening over and over. And then you have, of course, who we have at the leadership in this country right now, who over over the past years, you know, emboldened police officers, you know, reduced the protections, you know, against people and given police officers more power, rolled back everything Obama tried to do. And he wasn't even able to accomplish a a huge, great deal, but at least he was making strides in that direction, rolled back all of that. And so, you know, what you see, it's like, is the people seeing this, the people are saying, oh, you do not care, you know, and people have not cared for years, but you really don't care. Progress is we're going backwards. Backwards. We are not about to, (laughs) we are not about to go backwards. But yeah, I think you're totally right. Like how that intersects with income inequality and how that will intersect, you know, with the disparities and how people are being impacted with the coronavirus, mm-hmm. you know, and right now people got time. People right. got time. That's the other thing. <laughs> I know I was saying time. that to my husband last night. I was like, nobody has to go to work today or tomorrow. Right. I was talking about today being Monday. I was like, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Like nobody has anywhere to go right now. Yeah. Like, and then it's like how the whole world is joining in, too. It's because it's like the United States is, you know, yes, we have a particular uh, race problem. Yes. You know, but there is racism and inequality all over the world mm-hmm. and especially income inequality all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, so and people are feeling it. And, and obviously the same things that make, you know, the black communities here feel the pain worse, you know, during the coronavirus will make poor communities all around the world right. feel that pain worse, you right. know, during this as well. So yeah, yeah. it'll be 
interesting how this plays out, but I, I really do hope that, you know, the work continues beyond this and beyond the marches and, right. you know, we work to get the right laws passed and the, the right people in right. the right positions, um, so all the way down. So important. Yeah. yeah. See, you're smart. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're hella smart. I'm like sitting here like, yeah, yeah. Liara for president. Let's do it. Um, okay. Before we go, cause we do have to go for people who love your book, all the things we never knew for people who are going to read it and they've loved it. What are some things that you might recommend to them to check out other books you think that might be good? Yeah. Okay. So all the things we never knew is a young adult, um, dual POV romance. And so I'm going to give you all that category. Okay. Nicola Yoon's, which a lot of people have probably yeah. always already read this, but The Sun is also a star. Great. Um, if you have not read it, it's a beautiful book. And I like also how Nicola Yoon deals with the larger questions in life. And I also love how the universe in her book is almost a third character. Mm. It is beautiful. I love that book. Um, and there's also When Dimple met Rishi okay. by Sonia Menon. Um, and, and, and that's a little, it's a nerd book, but dual POV romance as well. <clears throat> and then there's also the classic, um, Eleanor and Park, um, okay. by Rainbow Rowell. Um, and if you haven't read that book, Oh, Oh, read it. Okay. Oh, it's good. Okay. It's good. I'll check it out. Um, I know some people have problems with, um, own voices in it because the main character um is asian um mm -hmm. the guy one of the guy or i think he may be even mixed asian and white but um but i feel like it's a beautiful book and it was beautifully written and and it's in it i don't know if she targeted that to the teenage market at the time i think she too just wrote a book and wrote mm -hmm. kind of the best book but you feel it and i think adults feel it teenagers okay. feel it everybody feels it it's a it's a good classic um, and in this, I know I looked to it when I was writing um, this book. I read it before I, I wrote my book. Right. So, yeah, it's good. Okay. Before I lash, ask you my last question, just for everybody at home, um, I have left everything that we talked about today in the show notes for you. So you can find Liara's book, all the other books that are mentioned, everything we talked about. Um, I will even leave a link for Love and Basketball for you to watch the movie if you haven't seen it. because It's very good. Um, and then if you're not already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts and you can follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And Liara, what are your social media handles if people want to follow you, even though you don't like it there? <laughs> Follow me on Instagram. I'm best okay. at Instagram, but at Liera Tamani. Okay, perfect. And we will link to that as well. Okay. My last question for you, Liera, is if you could have any person dead or alive read your book, who would it be? Oh my gosh, this question. Um, <laughs> and I've thought about it and it's still hard. I, I'm going to say Toni Morrison because I feel like I owe so much to her and mm. I don't even know if I'd be writing if it wasn't for her. So Toni okay. Morrison. That's a good answer. That's always a good answer. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time and getting to chat with you. Thank you so much. This has been fun. We talked about, it was like a random conversation kind yeah. of everywhere, but we touched on a lot and um, yeah, I love talking to you. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And everybody at home, thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you in the stacks. Thank you guys so much for listening and thank you again to Leah Tamani for being our guest. I'd also like to give a quick thank you to Beth Parker for setting up this interview. Be sure to come back on August 26th when Britt Bennett joins us again for the Stacks Book Club conversation of Sula by Toni Morrison. 
Find everything we discussed today in the link in the show notes. And for more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And go to our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and support this show, head to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Subscribe to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review this show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajits. Will Sterling is our producer and sound editor, and The Stacks was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.